and he read those wonderful words again on the tombstone and he still couldn't believe it. He read it a third time and finally concluded one of two things. Either the guy that did the epitaph on the tombstone didn't know him very well or they'd throw him in the wrong hole. <laughs> I sort of feel like that this morning, but it is great to be here. We've been here before, but not on a Sunday to worship with you, and that's a real thrill. We're so thankful that Casey and Debbie and the kids are ministering here with you now. Uh, we've known Fred Rodkey for about 100 years, I think, or something like that. He was the president of my senior class at Bible College, and so grateful for Fred's ministry and the powerful ministry of this church uh, through the years. I don't know if you need to know this, and it's certainly not boasting on my part. I hope you'll give me an umbrella of grace. I pray for this church every Monday. Now, we pray for your services on Sunday where our kids are ministering, you know, but I pray specifically uh, for the church on Monday because it's just kind of a discipline I do on Mondays. So uh, know that we're doing that. Know that we care about your ministry. And this is a big day here at Chapel Rock. My goodness, all these graduates and the different things that they're doing, that's pretty cool. And then to see the atrium, the foyer out there with the different Bible college ministries, I'm so glad to be here on that kind of college day. Uh, glad that Woody and Rose Wilkinson are here from Ozark Christian College, one of my co-workers there. Woody's taught for years at the Bible College, so glad for his ministry. And so glad this morning to have some time with David Upchurch from Lincoln Christian University. David was a Timothy of the congregation we served for Casey's first seven years of life in Illinois, and his dad was one of the greatest elders and one of the greatest men I've ever met in my life, who's gone on to be with Jesus now. Uh, but it's just so good to, to see David here and to see our, our oldest of our tribe of our Christian colleges, Johnson University here. They are just kicking it on all the cylinders, just expanding and doing so well. Glad to hear that some of these graduates are going away to Johnson, one of the prettiest campuses we have, I'd have to say. And so that's wonderful. And also our friends from St. Louis Christian, just about 300 miles from where I live, but nonetheless, over there by the Arch in the Mississippi, they're getting a new president this year. Uh, Carol and Terry Stein. Terry's going to be their present, and uh, we had our first double date with them. That's how far back this goes. So also glad for the campus ministries and, and glad that John mentioned that. The congregation we served before going to the Bible college to serve all those years was a little church in central Illinois. We were there seven years, and that small congregation supported four campus ministries. So I think that's a big deal. I think that matters. And I'm glad that you're supporting the campus ministry of IU and Purdue and IUPUI. I think those matter. And so thank you for that. It's good to be here for that special day too. So if I don't mess this up, it's going to be a good morning, don't you think? I hope anyway. And you're stuck with a guest preacher. That's sort of like a substitute teacher. That's about as bad as it gets. And so I hope you'll be, uh, have an umbrella of grace for this uh, substitute preacher uh, today. But you are starting into your summer with an emphasis on faith. And I hope you're open to the possibilities of letting God in this sermon series that Casey's starting today, I hope you're willing to let him stretch your faith during these summer months. Let me just ask you this. Can you think of anything that God would want more than for you to grow in your faith? Especially in light of the fact that Jesus said to his disciples in Mark eleven twenty two, 22, have faith in God. Well, do you? Is that something that you want to be dynamic in your life? What does God want more than for us to grow in our faith, especially in these summer months? 
And the theme or the plan is to somehow locate this theme of having our faith stretched biographically. We're going to look at the life of Abraham. That's the cover of your uh, worship folder today. And whenever we preach on people in the Bible, I kind of go back to one of my mentors at Lincoln Christian Seminary and one of Casey's mentors as well, Dr. Wayne Shaw. And Dr. Shaw used to teach us that when you preach on a Bible character, it's essentially veiled doctrine. It's like, here's the thing you're talking about behind a curtain, a veil, and here's the guy you're going to illustrate it with or the girl you're going to illustrate it with. And so when you want to talk about courage, you talk about Daniel, whose edict of the king he just disregarded and prayed toward Jerusalem all the time, and he ended up in a lion's den for that. When you're going to talk about doubting, you might turn to Thomas. I think that Thomas gets a little bit of a bad rap for that, but perhaps Thomas. When you are going to talk about wisdom, you might look to Solomon, who had buckets of it when he was young. It sort of eroded as he got older. But when you're going to talk about faith, I mean, where else should you turn but the person of Abraham? I mean, after all, his influence is ginormous. You understand that three different religious groups of people in our world today, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, all look to him as kind of the founder of their faith. That would comprise, folks, about 3.6 billion people today. That means half of the globe looks to Abraham as a key individual. Did you know that of the 25 prophets of Islam, 17 come from the family of Abraham? I think we have a slide of a book by Bruce Feeler. Bruce Feeler wrote a book about Abraham. It became a New York Times bestseller, and he's tracing this person of Abraham through the journey of what he calls three faiths. In fact, if you look at the book of Genesis, you will notice that the story of Abraham begins in chapter 11. It goes to chapter 25. That's 28% of the book of Genesis, the Abraham story. Pretty big deal. 307 times Abraham's name is mentioned in your Bible. Get this, 73 of those times, it's in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. And 14 of the 21 epistles that we call the letters to churches mention Abraham's name an Old Testament guy. And in fact, it's heavily concentrated in Romans and Galatians and Hebrews. So yeah, if we want to learn some lessons about faith, we better look to the life of Abraham. His life is introduced to us in this last paragraph of Genesis chapter 11. I'm not going to read that today, but I'll just summarize it for you. There is Abraham, and he lives in the Ur of the Chaldees. Maybe if we put the picture of the map up here, that might be the best way to get our hands around his origin, if you will. That's sort of the Fertile Crescent. That's sort of the Mesopotamia area in the Middle East. And over to the right-hand side where you see the Persian Gulf, that's Ur of the Chaldees. That's where Abraham grew up, which tells me he probably worshipped idols. That's what that tells me. And then he journeys up to Haran or Haran of Mesopotamia, kind of like the top of a diamond, if you will, or a triangle. And he's supposed to leave, but he takes with him some family. So we've got his dad, Terah. We've got his brother, Haran or Haran. And he had a son named Lot. And Lot's a real problem. We got to dump Lot. How do we get rid of Lot? And besides that, he had a salty wife. So how do we, how do we deal with Lot? So we'll dump Lot, and he has another brother named Nahor, and these will all feature a little bit in the story, but more significant will be Lot that we have to dump in Genesis 13, 
and his beautiful, beautiful wife, Sarai, who is barren. Who is barren. That matters. That matters here. So they ultimately find themselves down in the country of what we call Israel today, a little stretch of land that you could fit between Indianapolis and Chicago. It's not that big a strip of geography, but they've been fighting over it for years, yeah? And so we want to kind of unpack this a little bit, if we can today, under this theme of faith. And here's what we'll find about Abraham, and that's simply this. There's nothing flashy about what he does. There's nothing extraordinary about what he does. He just keeps putting one foot in front of the others, following God. When we examine this subject of faith, folks, I don't know, I like to kind of just dig into the Bible and kind of see what it's all about if I can. And so when studying this theme of faith, I noticed something, that in your New Testaments, the verb that's translated in English to believe in, to have faith, uh, to trust, it appears 243 times. Ready for this? Buckle up. The noun, the noun, belief, trust, or faith, also appears 243 times. I think only God could have pulled that one off. 67 times the adjective appears, faithful. You put that all together, that's 500 references or so of faith in just your New Testament. And when I started wrestling with, what are the nuances of this to get us where we need to go today? I begin to notice several things. One is what I would call saving faith. Saving faith. That is to say, God makes his love available to us, which we don't deserve, and we appropriate it by faith. Ephesians 2.8 says we're saved by grace through faith. In this Abrahamic narrative of Genesis, it says in chapter 15, and he believed God, and it, his belief, was reckoned unto him as righteousness. That's so powerful, Paul uses it in Romans quite a bit. So saving faith, we come into a saving relationship with. Secondly, there's what I'd call doctrinal faith. Doctrinal faith, that is to say that there's this body of doctrine we hold dear. We say we believe this, kiver to kiver, Genesis to maps, we believe it all. Okay, so that's doctrine. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7, keep the faith. I have kept the faith. Okay, then there is what I'd call virtuous faith. That is, it's a virtue, like in your life. <laughs> when you say to somebody, Hey, I'll pray for you, brother. Is that just church talk, or do you mean that? Is your yes, yes, and your no, no? And in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter will talk about chapter, uh, he will talk about this, where he'll say, add to your faith, virtue, and add to your virtue, this. It's a whole virtue list, and faith heads the list. So it's a virtue. Uh, there's a fourth category that I would call, for lack of a better label, charismatic faith. Now, that, that's kind of a funny label. Maybe some of you can help, help me with a better label. But all I mean by it is this, every one of us in this room this morning is supposed to have faith in God. He calls us to have faith in God. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, that God gifts certain people to have the gift by the Holy Spirit of faith. That's weird. It's the charisma. It's the gift of God. And maybe you've run across people that just say, they're not afraid of anything. You know, they load your M16 rifle, follow me up that hill. We're going to take it for Jesus. Come on. This, people just have faith. I don't know, maybe they've been gifted by God. There's another category, I call it uh, conscientious faith. You didn't know Jiminy Cricket made the Bible, did you? But he did. Let your conscience be your guide. But your conscience is your moral umpire that calls the balls and strikes of life, and it's only as good as that which feeds it. And so Paul, in a section where he's discussing how we obey our conscience, is this right? Is this right? I don't know about this. Should I do this? In Romans 14, he says, whatever is not of faith is of sin. He's dealing with your conscience. 
conscientious faith. But the one that I want to talk about today is this last one. It's so large. We see it in the life of Abraham, the man of faith. And it's this one, daily faith. I don't know what else to call it. Just lifestyle faith, where you just daily entrust your life over to him. As J.B. Phillips says, you lean your whole weight on him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And in that great chapter that says faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says that without faith, it's, it's, it's impossible to please God. For anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. This is a pretty big deal. And so I want this summer to be a summer of the stretching of your faith. And I think it's possible through looking at the life of Abraham. Casey is going to try to define this for you in the weeks that follow this way. It kind of put in one sentence. That faith is really a lifestyle orientation of belief in, dependence on, and obedience to God. That's pretty good. You might want to take that home and talk about that. You might want to tweet it. Is it 140 characters? I don't even know. But you just think about this for just a second. Faith is a lifestyle orientation of belief in, dependence on, and obedience to God. Now, our son is much wiser than his dad. So I've got to say it shorter. Okay. I've got to put the cookies on the low shelf. And so here's my definition of it. Faith is simply saying yes to God. Can you remember that? Will you take that home today? Faith, that's what I see in Abraham's life, he just says yes to God. At our church in uh, Joplin, Missouri, where we attend, whenever somebody accepts Jesus as their Savior and is baptized, we give them a t-shirt. I can see you're a little rich, you give the graduates something there, that was nice. So we give them a t-shirt. It just says, I said yes. And they get baptized in that. I said yes. I said yes to Jesus. That's what faith is. It's just all, every day saying yes to Jesus. And you'll see it in this text today, where Abraham says yes to the Lord. It's, we've been calling it this idea of faith just starts moving boxes. He starts moving boxes, because God said, Abraham, go. And he started getting the boxes. That's refreshing. Let's take a look at it. In your Bibles or on the screen, you'll take these words, chapter 12 of Genesis and I want to read and give a little commentary as I go. I don't know what you like to do when you study the Bible. I like to rattle every door. I like to turn over every rock. So we'll just give a little commentary as we go. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord, that's enough, let's talk about that. Some of you thinking, boy, this is going to take a while, isn't it? Uh, well, that's his, that's his name, you know. We're not going to run past his name here at church, are we? Yahweh. That's, that's the name of God. I am. Now the Lord said to Abram, I'm going to keep calling him Abraham this morning. You know that his name gets changed from Abram to Abraham later, the father of the living. But I'll probably just default to this fuller name. Go. That means you move boxes. Go. Just go from your country. Literally, it's the Hebrew word for land. And your kindred and your father's house Literally in Hebrew, it's the idea of your biological uh, family, your, your family of origin. And go to a land or earth that I will show you, verse 2, and I will make of you a great goy. The Hebrew plural is goyim. 
You remember we're supposed to make disciples of all the nations. I will make you a great nation and I will, and don't run past this word please. The noun form of it in Hebrew is barakah. I will bless you. That's a big deal. If you forget everything else in church today, don't forget that. Bless. Hebrew word verb barak. It means to bless. In fact, to pronounce a physical and verbal blessing on somebody, this word bless will appear five times in this passage today. It appears a hundred times in the Old Testament, 30 times in relationship to Abraham. This is a significant thing. Do you know that you change somebody's destiny by blessing them? Parents, are you listening to me? You really do. About a year ago, we were in Israel, and our son Casey was with us. And uh, we were as finishing our trip toward about the first part of June. And we were there in the garden tomb in Jerusalem. And one of the brothers that preaches over in Illinois was giving a devotional. We were all in tears, taking communion in the garden tomb, just like we did this morning. And then I'd ask Alan Algram, who's a friend of ours from Colorado, because he's written so much on blessing. I said, Alan, I want you to bless Mike. Mike was our Greek Orthodox guide that we had. So Mike came forward, and we got around, and we prayed on him, and we put our hands on him, and we blessed him. And Alan Algram said this, I'll never forget it. He says, to speak of mere blessing is to speak of mere dynamite. Because to bless somebody means you change their destiny. Did God do that here? Oh, yeah. Because somehow the gospel got out of Zion to Indianapolis. And that wouldn't have happened without this right here. So, I will bless you and make your name great. You remember in the previous chapter, they tried to make their own name great. That never works. They built this tower. It's not good. I call that the search for significance. They didn't have it. So God said, if you just, just chill, just be patient. I will make your name great. To those of you that are blessing, I, verse 3, I will bless those that bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. We're evidence of that today. Then verse 4, so Abram went. Did you hear that? God said go, and Abram went. God said go, and Abram went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Oh crud, we've got to get rid of him. Why does he keep hanging around? Abram was 75 years old. Man, I'm 64. Goodness sakes. 75, he's just getting started. When he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. This is a big group. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. That'll be mentioned twice. That's Beulah land. Some of you remember an old song we used to sing in church? That's the land oozing with milk and honey, Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, well, crud, there was a famine. There was a famine in the land. So it says, Abram passed through the land at a place called Shechem. That's pretty close to where Jesus had a conversation with a woman at a well. To the oak of Moreh, at the time the Canaanites were in the land. Oh, not those guys. Who likes the Canaanites, for heaven's sakes? Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord and he appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, that means house of God, and pitched his tent and with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. 
which means the desert, the place to the south. That's probably all the time we're going to have for today in terms of this text anyway. But if I think about Abraham as somebody who shows us an example of somebody who God says go to and he just goes, then I guess I would have to tell you this, that if we have the kind of faith that moves boxes, first of all, God's call will have to be clear. Because I'm not moving boxes unless I'm sure. Or as sure as I can be. It's still called a faith journey. But God's call will have to be clear. And that's what we see in these first three verses, that God's call came and it involved going to a new country. Oh my, a um, friend of ours, Fred Rodkey would know this person quite well, on our faculty, a co-worker, Harvey Backus. Taught in our missions area for years at the college, and in his retirement, he says, you're working at a bookstore, which is sort of a way to do evangelism, in Amman, Jordan. How about that for retirement? He was taking a graduate class in California one year, and the teacher said, everybody turn to the Great Commission. They all took the bait. They turned to Matthew 28, and the teacher started reading from this text. Because this is the original Great Commission. Before you ever get to make disciples of all the nations, there's this passage that says, no, 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 no. God's call is clear. I want to bless all the world. He has a wide embrace. And so Abraham's faith had to be large enough for him to be able to embrace this new country, to, to go to a different place, to a different land. And as I mentioned, they've been fighting over that land for quite a while. But somehow, the gospel had to start there and get out of there. It had to go to Jerusalem and get out of Jerusalem to where it would even get to Indianapolis and other places. I love the simplicity of this in Hebrews 11, which is sort of a succinct summary of this text today that says, Now by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. He just obeyed. And Hebrews 11 goes on to tell us why. Why did he go to a new country? Can you imagine him at age 75 going into Sarah saying, pack up, honey. Why? Well, we got to move. Why do we have to move? Well, God told me. God told you? Yeah. Which God? Oh, no, not which God. The God, the, the God of the universe, the God who created, he spoke to me and said, we got to move. Okay, Abraham, listen, you're old. Okay. Now listen, you know, maybe it was that pepperoni pizza last night. Uh, are you sure? No, I'm, God spoke to me, honey. I'm, we got to pack boxes. We got to move the boxes. We got to do it now. He said to go. Okay, you say God spoke to you. Whatever. You say we're supposed to go to a new country. Fine. Where are we going? He says, I don't know. Because <laughs> Hebrews 11 says he went out not knowing where he was going. The Greek word is epistemi, from which we get the English word epistemology. Abraham didn't have a clue because he was looking for a city whose founder and architect is God. See, when Jesus calls you, he heads you to a new country. He really, really does. And not only that, it demanded leaving family. He gives you a new identity. See, your family of origin is you. Your family of origin is, is who you are, your identity. That's a big deal. I, I read about the, uh, years ago, the Archbishop of Canterbury, he was running late for an appointment in London, and so he quickly ran and hopped on a moving train to get to his appointment. He got in the car, sat down, looked around, and realized everybody in the car had the same uniform on. And then it hit him. He had jumped on the car that had the patients from the local mental ward of the hospital. 
the orderly was coming down the middle aisle counting uh, patients. One, two, three, four. Saw the archbishop. Well, who are you? He said, sir, I am the archbishop of Canterbury. And the orderly looked back at him and said, five, six, seven, eight. You got to know who you are. True. Leave your country, leave your family. It also had to do with a whole new world, all the nations of the earth being blessed. So I'm just going to ask you today, what happens when you say yes to Jesus? Are you saying yes to Jesus? I mean like every day. Are you putting the promise of God at risk by little pockets of disobedience? I tell my students, when you're preaching from the Old Testament, trace the promise, trace the promise. Is the promise of God being extended, advanced? Is it being compromised? Is it being derailed? Trace the promise. What about the promise of God? Is it going forward? Is it up to date? Is it saying yes? Is it moving boxes? You can't miss the clarity of this. Abraham, go! And he went. To move boxes, God's call has to be clear. But let me suggest a second thing from verses 4 to 7, verses 4 to 9, wherever you want to stop the reading. And that's this. To move boxes, your obedience has to be complete. You'll notice, folks, I didn't say perfect. It will never be perfect as long as you're in the flesh. This is going to be tough. But it does mean, is your conversion thorough? Are you thoroughly converted? Are you holding anything back? This won't be easy to walk by faith in this world. How do I know? Because the Canaanites are here. Have you seen them in Indy? We were downtown last night. I think I saw a few. No, I'm dead serious. You know about all these people in the Old Testament, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Gergesites, the Perizzites, the Termites. They're all down there. You can just spot them. Say, you know, I don't think... I don't think those people worship Yahweh. Could be wrong. Can't read the heart. Only God can read the heart, you know. But I mean, really, the Canaanites, it said this twice in the larger context of the Genesis narrative. The Canaanites were in the land. The why, do you think that's, why do you think that is told to us in Scripture? Because it's not going to be easy to do this. That's why. Oh, no, no, no. See, if you're the only Yahweh worshiper and the promise of God stands or falls with you to save the world through his son. How you doing on that? What if you're the only Christian at your workplace and the promise of God to save the world through Jesus stands or falls with you? Wow. That puts us a little different. You see, the pressure for Abraham with all the Canaanites in the land would have been to just cave in. We call it cultural seduction. I'm glad Casey recognized the persecuted church. That's persecution from without. Our problem in America is stuff from within. And being somehow asked to compromise our walk with Christ. What if it just came down to you? It's not easy being a Christian. Have you, have you ever noticed a time in our country's history that we have been as polarized as we are today? Man, this is not going to be a walk in the park, is it? 
No, I come to you this morning from the land of rivers, Mississippi, Missouri. And the old riverboat captains, and you're close enough to the Ohio to know this, the old riverboat captains have a saying It goes like this, a river always takes the course of least resistance, and that's why it's always crooked. Won't be easy. But you know what will help? Worship and prayer. What did Abraham do when he got there? Stacked up little rocks. Oh, I love to come to Illinois and Indiana. I grew up in Iowa. And see that nice, dark, rich ground that grows good crops. Because down where I live, it takes dynamite to grow a garden. Okay? God decided to put a, a, in Israel a whole bunch of rocks, and he had a few left over, so he put those in southwest Missouri. Okay? I mean, I've just built a couple little garden beds, raised beds. I built them really high because I'm 64. Okay? And it's harder to bend over, so I just made the garden come up to me. But uh, why, I brought in dirt. Why? Because about an inch past the topsoil, it's all rock. We grow good rocks in Missouri where I live. So Abraham had lots of rocks at his disposal. And you know what happened when Abraham and Isaac and Jacob died? There were little piles of rocks everywhere where they built little altars and they called in the name of the Lord. I'm asking you, where do you carve out your sacred space? Where do you make sure that this is going to be a little place where you'll seek the face of God so that you can grow in your faith, the kind of faith that moves boxes when God says go, Oh, yeah, this, this won't be easy. The Canaanites are in the land. But what will help is worship. So could I just, would you allow me as a guest to just say a word of encouragement to you about corporate worship? I mean, I know what next weekend is here at this place. I'm not stupid. And I know what's memorial. My grandma used to call it Decoration Day. Anybody ever heard Decoration Day? And I know what Decoration Day to Labor Day means. It means the suitcase is off the shelf. But I need to tell you something that's very humbling to me. And that's that faithful church attendance in America today, corporate worship, is 1.78 Sundays per month. If that doesn't burden you, well, it may tell you why we're where we are as a country. 1.78. Now, nobody expects you to come if you're throwing up your socks. Nobody expects you to come if you're out of town. I'm out of town for my church this week. But I want to challenge you to not have a summer slump. I'm serious. I pray that when the doors are open and you're, in you here, you're here, participating in the life of this church, because you'll find it's easier to fight the Canaanites. You'll be willing to say, no, no, I want Ben Merrill who at age 65 moved from California to St. Louis, started over, he's 90, still preaching. He says, why talk about a summer slump? Why not just do some special things in the summer that by the time fall hits, we're off and running even better? That's the kind of faith I'm talking about here. So let me say it again. Let me say it again. And that is that faith is a lifestyle orientation a belief in, dependence on, and obedience to God. Said more simply, it's just people that say yes to Jesus all the time. I work in academia, and so let me tell you about a student. We'll call him Mike, because that's his name. <laughs> and uh, 
Mike uh, was in a class that I teach occasionally still to this day. He preaches out in Oregon now. had him several years ago. This class was called Preaching Ministry Field Experience. It means that this class is for those kids that have a preaching ministry on the weekends. So they'll go out into their little places of service and they'll preach. And I just have them turn in a little sheet that says what they preached about and what activities took place in the church that weekend. How many did they have in Bible school? How many did they have at church? Did you make any visits for Jesus or hospital calls? Or I just have them turn in a sheet like that. And we talk about it. It's just a one-hour credit class. It's basically to share the successes and struggles. They read a little paper book book. That's about it. And so Mike was in this class. And he drove four hours out into Kansas. That's purgatory. <laughs> to serve on this little 12 people in his church. 12 people. He was losing money. They couldn't pay him enough because they didn't have it. And every Sunday he would put gas in his car, but he was losing money. But I noticed that Mike turned in more visits for Jesus than anybody else in the class. And sometimes more than the whole class combined. I said, Mike, I pulled him aside one day. I don't understand this. Your church is dying. You're losing money. And you turn in more visits for Jesus than anybody else. Why? And I felt, folks, about this high, like a spiritual pygmy, when he said this was his answer. Well, I don't know. Jesus just said to go, so I go. And I thought to myself, well, I thought you would probably say that, Mike. I was pretty sure that uh, a spiritual giant like you would... I felt like, Mark Scott, you idiot. Something so refreshing of somebody to say, I don't know what Jesus said to do it, so I just do it. So a couple weeks ago, David Upchurch would know this family. We were over near that church that we served for, sorry, for seven years. Where Casey grew up. And uh, we talked to Jim Ayers, one of the finest men I've ever known in my life. He was an elder in that little church, and he's had some tough road. He's been a widower for years. He's 87 now. He lost his wife, Rosemary, many years ago. But just a matter of weeks ago, he lost an adopted son, Joe, in a jet ski accident on Lake Springfield. He drowned. So we were in the area, and we went by to see Jim and uh, pray with him, pray for him, express our sorrow. And I knew I was coming here to preach on faith. And Jim Ayers, many years ago, when I preached on Abraham from Hebrews 11, he gave me this. People were always giving me things for sermons. I suppose they thought it, they needed something. But I can do no better than to close with this. It's titled, Faith Involves a Risk. Yeah. He says, to laugh is to risk appearing the fool. <laughs> you ever told a joke and nobody laughed but you? To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out for another is to risk involvement. To expose your ideas, your dreams before the crowd is to risk their loss. To love is to risk not being loved in return. I wonder if God knows anything about that. To live is to risk dying. To hope is to risk despair. To try is to risk failure. 
but risks must be taken because the greatest hazard in life is to risk nothing. The person who risks nothing does nothing and is nothing. Oh, they may avoid suffering and sorrow, but they simply cannot learn, feel, change, grow, love, live. Listen to this next line. Chained to their certitudes, they are a slave. They have forfeited freedom. Only a person who risks is free. That's from my friend Jim Ayers. Who knows about that freedom this morning? And that's what I invite you to as we come to our time of decision. I invite you to the freedom that there is and the excitement that there is of a life of faith that just moves boxes and just says, okay, if you said it, we'll do it. It looks ridiculous. It looks... Yeah, but think, someday you'll get to hear another word. Not go, but come. Come. Come into my house. Live here with me forever. So if you are here this morning and you need to initiate that walk of faith, or if you just want to pray with somebody about it, maybe your faith is somewhere down about your socks. And maybe you want to step to the front and have people work with you. Maybe, maybe you want to continue the faith conversation. you got questions, all kinds of things. That next step, little door back there and room, maybe that's where you should continue this conversation with others. We're going to come to a time of decision. Can I ask you as a congregation to respond to this word? Just say yes. Just say yes to Christ. What's that look like in your life today? Stand with me, congregation, will you, as we sing and as we respond to him today. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my life, you are all.
Amen. Has it not been good to be here and just be inspired and encouraged? Let's send one last prayer to God. Almighty God, we've heard truth. It's come and spoken directly into our hearts. And there's an invitation to come. And then there's a responsibility to go because of all that you've given to us. So Lord, help us to just say yes. Help us to pack our bags and go. Help us to be people of faith that demonstrate it by our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next Sunday. And we'll have the sound working. How's that? (laughs)